you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are great. Thank you for your care and your love. Thank you for your majesty and your power. Thank you. Amen. Good morning. We are on week five of our series, The Passionate Life, which, as you can see from our banners, it is one of our values, our core values. So we've been taking time to look at what the passionate life looks like. We've been encouraging you to read the book, Everyday Supernatural, by Mike Pilavacci and Andy Croft. In our journey groups, which is our small groups and our missional communities, we've had notes that have been created from the book that we're all reading. Yesterday we had our Holy Spirit Away Day and we were touched by him in an incredibly powerful way. I wrote that last week. <laughs> and we've talked about prioritizing the presence of God in our lives amidst the busyness. A second week, we talked about fanatically following him. And sometimes that means our posture is walking, standing, or sitting. We talked about being fully filled, that he lives within you and will be in you. And Rose talked to us about coming into life is a process and that God empowers us to do what we previously couldn't do. I've spoken to many that have already told me that God's got them to do something or to be involved in something that they would never have normally done. So God is on the move. Last week we talked about soul source and the stream is a soul and that you are the keeper. And that we're a soul and we need to keep our stream clean, from, free from sticks and debris. And this week, we're talking about devoted discipleship. According to the dictionary, devoted means very loyal, faithful, true, committed, dedicated, devout. And a disciple means a personal follower of Jesus during his life. Disciple was a term that Jesus used, and it's so helpful to briefly look at the culture. It's good to look at the culture. In the first century Judaism, the education of boys was centered around the home, and they would focus on the Torah. Anybody know what the Torah is? Anybody tell me what the Torah is? Yeah. It's what? It is. Can you tell me which books it is? First five, which is called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Yep. Um, uh, and I missed out numbers. For those of you that were going, oh, she skipped one. And it was taught primarily by the father. But after a boy was 13 years of age... For those of you that are 30, 12, how many people are 12 here? 
Yeah, Judith. <laughs> yeah, Phil. <laughs> Those of you that are 12, you'd have one more year. So when's your 13th birthday? April. Not you, Judith. So when April, Gabe, that would be the end of your formal education. Oh, dear. That'd be dreadful, wouldn't it, Rachel? <laughs> okay, so that was what would happen in, in Judaism back in that time. So there's no formal education. If the boy or teenager wanted further training in preparation to be a judge or a teacher or a scribe or a head of a synagogue, then he would have to continue his study of the Torah in a small group. Oh, in a small group. If it worked in Jesus' times, it's no wonder it works in our time. Or to seek to study as a disciple under a certain scholar. So the Apostle Paul was an example of a Jewish boy who left home, Tarsus, to study under the law of Gamaliel. You can correct me later. I'm sure many of you will. <laughs> who, is a, who was a famous rabbi in Jerusalem. And for a Jewish boy over 13, that meant he was going to study with a recognized Torah scholar. And he would imitate his life and his faith. And while he lived with the scholar, he would do everything that the scholar would do. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, our rabbi Jesus said, Every disciple after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is the essence of Jewish discipleship. Discipleship is an art of imitation. When the disciples fully trained, he became like the teacher himself, and then he passed on his teaching and raised up disciples of his own, who in turn then raised up disciples. Can you see? You see where it's going? It was far more involved than just learning the basic principles of faith. The Jewish disciples strove to become just like his teacher. There was no accusation you've copied or plagiarism. There was no sense of that. In fact, the opposite was true. A true disciple was expected to be able to repeat his master's teachings word for word. And the absolute dedication and loyalty that disciples held for their master is unmirrored in any of our modern kind of institutions or in our current culture. Imagine that rather than being in a school and having a good time, you had to emulate your teacher. You memorized his classes. You quoted him at every moment. And you followed him to and from his home. How about that, Andre? Would you ever like that when they were teaching? No. <laughs> or any of the other teachers in here. Um, and that you began to even, you actually wanted to go in and often invited yourself in to eat with them. And you began to dress and act like them. And you might, you sought to absorb every possible nuance of his behavior. Now, in our society, that would be classed as, you're weird, and I'm going to get an injunction against you. <laughs> when 
haven't you? I've got a stalker, is what we would say in our society. And the greatest teacher produced carbon copies of themselves. Every disciple, fully trained, would be like their master, says in Luke 6, verse 40. So we read in Matthew 16, verse 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This was a call for us to be Jesus' disciple, to imitate Jesus, to be selfless, and to deny our wants and our desires, to take up a cross for each of us It's different, but it is imitation, just like the Jewish culture of the day. Jesus' call for us is an all-or-nothing approach. It reaches every area of our life. It involves giving him preeminence over the closest of our relationships and desires in our lives. It means becoming his servant in the world And giving your life to that end. Matthew 16 verse 25 says, If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, I will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And we would say in light of our teaching that it isn't. Jesus came from a Jewish background and therefore his context of being a disciple was that of being with and imitating a life and a faith. In life we talk about, we talk so much about raising children, don't we? Everybody has an opinion on it, whether it's a TV program, wherever it is, we have an opinion. And there's a lot of arguments about nurture and nature. Has anyone heard those arguments? Is it nurture or is it nature? And as children throughout the centuries have been looked after in other people's homes, that kind of intensifies the discussion When children are stated as being just like your mother or just like your father, when in actual fact, they're not living with their biological parents at all, which indicates that that's nurture. It's not nature, it's nurture. And most of us, when we were teens, and most of us when we advise teens would say, you need to be really careful who your friends are, don't we? Be careful who you spend your time with because whoever you spend your time with, that is who you will become like. And therefore, one of the biggest things that we worry about is what kind of company our kids keep. But we often don't consider the company that we keep. We? we worry about them, but we don't always think about the company that we keep because we adopt habits and lifestyles and ways. They become our ways. What about you? Who do you spend your time with? 
When you look at some of the habits around you of those that you love, do they include God in every area of life? It says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to be, give to your ancestors. Be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. You know, that doesn't say just a small token. In the world we live in, we need to be passionately sold out for Jesus. A hundred percent, anything else is of no use. If we just allow him a portion of our lives, we acknowledge him, but we deny him access to the whole of our lives. And there's no wonder that we don't see or experience his power the way that we want to. It says in that scripture that you can see above my head, it says at the end to hold tightly to him. And often we'll say, I've been really busy I have so much on. I get it. I know. I know. I know what life's like. But it says, hold tightly. Now, I was going to do a game. Uh, but if I'm honest, I haven't got any balloons at home. Uh, so I just, and it escaped me head. I'd remembered lots of other things, but I didn't because life is tough sometimes, isn't it? Because <laughs> you just, things fall out your head. Do you have things like that? So I was going to do the game, and I'm sure that all of you have done this game. Have you ever done the game, we do it at youth, where you have a balloon and you have to pass the balloon without touching it with your hands? Have you done that, have you done that game? Johnsy's, I'm going to have to bring that game. Johnsy's never done it. He's like that. You're coming from a whole new world. <laughs> well, what you would do, Johnsy, is you put it either, you start with it either in your neck or in between your knees. You, yeah, you're all looking very miserable. You don't go to many parties, do you? And then what you have to do is you have to turn and you have to pass it to the next person and they clutch it and then they turn or you do that don't you and do it to the next person see you didn't need balloons demonstration now what I was going to do was I'm going to pick on three of you but I haven't and I was going to get you to stand at the front and that you've got to pass the balloon without touching with your hands but you've got to all hold hands now that would have been really difficult and the reason that I wanted to do that was A, because I wanted it to fail. Not totally. But I wanted it to show that the whole point is, is that the first and foremost thing that you've got to do was hold on to the other person. Now, some, some, you might have actually managed it. 
and some it might have dropped and you might have taken it had to have a couple of goes yeah because there is a principle that God is saying you need to hold on to him tightly you get ups we get upset because we'll say I'm far away from God or I feel he's not close and God's saying come on you need to hold on to me and not let go. God lives within you. Where do you take him? What does he hear in your conversations throughout your week? What does he see when you're watching whatever it is that you're watching? God is with you at the whole of the time. Are the times when he would probably go, actually, I'm not staying for this. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 5 to 11, Jesus called the first disciples. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by a lake of Gesnet. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting out of one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And they, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. These men were fishermen. Simon, and Peter, Simon Peter would have been the eldest. They were raised and they were taught how to fish from being young boys. We know that because we already know that education stopped at 12 to 13. They knew when to fish and they knew when not to fish. So for Jesus to tell them to put out their nets again in a place where they knew there would be no fish, it was literally an act of obedience on their part. It was hard work to put the nets out and then to bring them back in again and tidy up again. Does it sound familiar? Before they could then go home. And they'd already worked all night and then they'd been around for Jesus mending their nets while he'd been preaching and speaking. And so really they were a bit tired and they just wanted to go home. And then to find all those fish... Now, I've watched um, those, some of those trawler programs. Anybody watch those trawler programs? Oh, it's hard work, that is, isn't it? And I've watched them, and they know when to just leave it, 
And they have times where they go, there's no fish here. And I think, how do you know? You can't, you can't see, but they know because they know what the sea is like and they know where the fish are because that's their job. The difference is that Jesus, the Son of God, told them what to do and when to do it. And the result was so many fish that they were challenged with the amount. I would love to be challenged with the amount of harvest, wouldn't you? I would love that. Jesus wanted the disciples to follow him and imitate him. I really don't think they would have left their nets with a wordy discussion. They needed to see Jesus work in their everyday life to see an everyday supernatural moment. And quite frankly, that's what moves me. Somebody can talk to me, and that's great. I'm talking now, but unless God moves in a Holy Spirit way and suddenly transforms you, you ain't going to do anything different. I wouldn't. There's a young person that I know that's been really challenged by God to include him more in their life and in their daily activities. And finally, they decided to be obedient. And so they've sorted out space and they've chosen different music and chosen to eliminate some stuff and chosen to read the Bible, their devotional. And God has transformed their week. And they're in this house. And the week of those around them. Jesus is saying that the same thing to you as he did to the disciples. And as he said to this young person, if you want great things from God, then you need to live his way. And that means including him in everything. Once a week on a Sunday won't cut it. He wants more. And as a church leader, I am not talking about attendance. Let's be clear on that one. But what I am saying is devoting time, personal devotion, time with other Christians, not just on a Sunday morning, but within a group where ideas and views can be shared, where you can ask questions and share perspective an experience of God. You need to be connected with folk from this house because it's the only way that you can look after one another and stay together. Places where we can be challenged and we all have a chance to adjust and change according to his will. If you find that you are right all of the time, might I suggest that you're not right. He is renewing our mind. None of us are perfect. We get things wrong. 
we have to adjust ourselves and hold tight to him. So Jesus called many to follow him from the beginning of his ministry. For each of those he called, they needed to believe in Christ and his ministry. From the ordinary day with Jesus, from John Oldberg, he suggests three things. And they're coming up on the slide. First of all, do I believe in Jesus Christ, a saviour? Number one. Secondly, we have, do you have desire for more of God in your life? John Eldridge said, we must journey to find the life we prize and the guide we have been given is the desire set within. What is your desire? Do you want more from God? And thirdly, you need to make a decision. Am I going to follow? Am I going to believe? Because I want my desires to come to pass. I want his desires to come to pass. I want my life to count. Being a disciple, a devoted disciple, means being available to God to others and to your church. It means being teachable. It means being connected with God and with others. It means being prepared to be broken. Accepting humility and brokenness as part of the journey. It means being corrected as we share openly and honestly with trusted folk. Jared Cooper wrote in his book, When the Spirit and Word Collide, that we know correction is not rejection. It's also being full of grace concentrating on our own position before God rather than pointing at other people's mess. And finally, it means being sent. We want to raise disciples to go and make more disciples. Are you making disciples? Now, I know that some people are in tough seasons and places. But your dependence on him is even more important. Inviting him into your situation and your everyday. If your Christ life isn't working, is it Christ-centered life? Or is he a bit like a condiment? Like salt and pepper or ketchup that you just kind of bring to the table after you've already decided what meal you've had you've already cooked it and then it just makes it more palatable to eat I'm really sorry because I am aware that it's coming across a bit strong but you know what it is a matter of life and death God wants your life 
If you remember, Rose said to us that God empowers us to do what we can't do. But Joe reminded us that we need to prioritize his, pe- his presence. And it's our job, as Will explained last week, to keep our stream clear. He's asking you the same question that Jesus asked Simon, Peter, James, and John. They left everything and followed him. Will you be a devoted disciple? I want us to stand in his presence, if that's okay. Can the team come up, please, if that's okay? I remember standing in a uh, huge tent at Spring Harvest. I was 16, 17. I think it was 16. And God said to me, will you give me your life? And I remember saying, yes. I was already a Christian. This was different. He was asking, Will I, would I be a devoted disciple? I remember I sang the song, Here I Am, Holy Available. And, uh, and I sang the words, I will serve the Lord. I knew that God was calling me to ministry And all of my decisions after that moment was in the light of that decision. My career choice, my activities, my relationship, my husband that is now, I told him, you need to know that I am going into ministry. You need to know that this is what God's doing in my life. And if you still believe that this is right, then that's fine. But everything was in the light of the decision that I had made. Folks, it is no, there is, you can't be wasting your life. It's time to make a decision and whatever you have made a decision, you stick your flag to it and everything else comes after that decision. If you are a devoted disciple of Christ, then he comes first and everything else is added after because that's what my Bible tells me. And that's what I have learned. I haven't got it right. Don't get me wrong. But he has to come first. And he will not take second fiddle. He won't. Because he is far too polite. And without you even realising it, he will have walked away because he is not happy with some of the stuff that you have been involved in. It is time. We've talked about God preparing for the harvest, that he is doing stuff. 
I understand about the fears. I understand about all of that kind of stuff. But you know, if you have said, I am going to be a devoted follower of Jesus, then that is it. That means whatever you do in your job. Mind you, I have done the same job for years. I could have done, I could have had promotion and that's not because I'm saying about how wonderful I am. I'm just saying I could have gone for so many promotions, but I didn't because God had spoken to me very clearly. Just recently, something's changed and my position at work has changed. But do you know what? The fact of the matter is, is that he comes first. You might miss out on promotions. I'm not selling you a story where you're going to get everything and you're going to have your cake and you can eat it. I'm not saying that because there are times of disappointment. There are times when you feel as though you've missed something, that you've missed out on, on new cars or you've missed out on something else. This is not an attractive message. But this is, are you going to choose him first and stop faffing about and start doing what he has called you to do? Because God has placed so much within so many of you. And he is saying, are you going to give me that 100%? Are you going to give me that first choice, that first bit? He doesn't want the leftovers of your life. He wants to be the first choice because he has got such a harvest and there are so many things that he wants to do, but he will not do it unless we are all choosing him first. It can't be done on one or two. He has got, we have got Hundreds of thousands of people that are, have no clue about Jesus. And he is asking, will you? We're going to sing this song and it says, I give myself away. And there is a bridge and in the bridge it says, my life is not my own. God is reminding you, your life is not your own. He lets you do stuff, but your life's not your own. If you are sold out for Jesus, he comes first. He comes first before everything. And if this is you, then you need to come to the front, not because of anything to do with me, but because you need to say to God, I am making a decision right here and right now. And from this day forward, that's it. I am setting my signpost at you. And everything else will come after. For some of you, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. To others, he says, put whatever you're doing down and follow me. And for some of you, He's whispering that he needs you to make more room for him in your life. Let's sing.